Today I wrap up my sermon series where I've been looking at the church and what's going on in our world and how it affects the church. There are many who say that the church is dead. They look at the statistics. They look at what seems to be going on in our culture. And they say that the church is irrelevant, that it's going the way of the dinosaur. That people are spiritual but not religious anymore. They just don't care about what the church has to say. Heard a, an author and speaker and Lutheran pastor named Nadia Boltz Weber um, this year at a preaching conference. And she was asked about this. And her church is a church that reaches out to a lot of people that are normally unchurched. And she said, you know... I've got a metaphor for that that I think helps make sense of why I think the church is not dead. And it relates to phone booths. Does everybody remember phone booths? You ever, remember the, there used to be these boxes. You still see pay phones occasionally, but not very much. But you almost never see a phone booth. So if you're younger and you have no idea, it was this box that had this weird door and only you could fit in it and barely you could fit in it. Have you ever had to get in a phone booth with your kid? It was ridiculous trying to watch people get in and out of the phone booth with their kids. So you'd go in there and you could use what's called a pay phone. You could put a quarter in and call. This was before cell phones, right? Well, we don't see phone booths anymore, right? I mean, I don't remember the last time I saw a phone booth. Um, I don't even really remember the last time I saw a pay phone. You can barely see those anymore. Now, one could assume in looking and saying, well, there's no phone booths anymore. The conclusion must be that people aren't talking on the phone anymore. But, of course, that's ridiculous. Because people talk on the phone all the time now. We have cell phones. See, it's not, the conclusion cannot be that no one's talking on the phone anymore. People are actually talking on the phone more than they ever have. But the medium has changed, hasn't it? People aren't using pay phones anymore, and that's why you don't see pay phones. See, the church is like a pay phone in a lot of people's minds. It's not that people aren't having spiritual conversations. Start watching movies. Start paying attention to TV shows. What you find is there are more spiritual themes in a lot of our pop culture and in a lot of our songs and in a lot of our movies than there have been in previous generations. The difference is people aren't going to the phone booth anymore. They don't see the phone booth as being valuable to speak into those spiritual things because they've got cell phones. See, the church is not going to go away, but it is going to need to change. The culture is still looking for a lot of the answers that we find in our scriptures and in our tradition and in our church community. But the reality is people aren't looking for it here anymore. And so the church is going to need to look to the future. We live in a changing and increasingly unfamiliar world. We've been talking about this in a lot of detail, but I think, a little highlight, I think there are sort of three storms that have come together to create a perfect storm in our culture that has made for radical changes. I think we live in a post-Christendom world Where Christianity is not the dominant voice anymore, it's very much a side voice. We live in a postmodern world where the thinking of modernism that has logic and reason being so important is going away. And because of that, people just think differently. 
We live in a changing and increasingly unfamiliar world, but what I want to make sure you understand today is that this cannot mark the end of the church. This cannot mark the end of the church. The church moves on. Listen to these promises from the scriptures from Matthew 16. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I, says Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. John 12. And I, this is Jesus again, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. From Deuteronomy 31, you can find this quoted a lot of other places in the scriptures. Be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. See, the promises of scripture make it very clear that the church doesn't die. That Christ is ultimately responsible for his church. And so the idea that church is going to go bye-byes is just not going to happen. But the way we think about church, the way we approach church, is not all that similar to the way the early church acted. Church has changed over the years. And so perhaps church will change. And the church of the future may look very differently than the church does now. But it does not die. There will be no funeral for the church. We know this also because this is not the first time this kind of upheaval has occurred. It's not the first time. We can look back in history and there are... I wish I could do a lot more with this. i got to do this really fast. But about every 500 years, the world goes through this major upheaval. And not only the church, but a lot of the world changes. We could go back further than this, but these are the main ones. In the first century, what's happening? The Romans are in power, but there's this little religion called Christianity that starts off. And it starts to change, it starts to build, it starts to grow, and it starts to change the face of the world. Not only at that time is Christianity moved, but even Judaism starts to move. Um, if you go back and really look, Judaism was based on the temple. But in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. And you get what's called rabbinic Judaism. You get a new Jewish faith too. Gregory the Great in the 500s, there's this huge debate in the church. As the Roman Empire is sort of declining, but the emperor becomes a Christian named Constantine, um, the world starts to shape, change shape again as Christianity becomes the more dominant voice. There's arguments all of a sudden about the Christian faith, and the world changes. In the 1000s, there's what's called the Great Schism. You can go back and read about this, but, but it's, it's really the start of, of, I mean, it's right in medieval times. It's a very dark time. Um, and what you get here is the split of the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. Um, major switch, major split in history, wounds and tears that have never been reformed. We know a lot about the Great Reformation. That's the most recent one to the one we're in now, where there is the technological advances of Gutenberg. There is all kinds of technology and logic and new ways of thinking that occurs. It's the end of feudalism. It's the first time you really get nations instead of just these little feudal states. Guys like Martin Luther, John Calvin step up and change the religion of its day. We get Protestantism. 
Which, by the way, Catholic, the Catholic faith starts then moving in a little bit different direction too. I think we're in one of these 500 year time periods. And it's interesting, you can pretty much track 500 years for all of these. We are in a time that is greatly changing. And so we know that the church has been through this before. We can look back and see a certain number of commonalities. That it was broad upheaval. That there was a lot of technological advances. I mean, nothing like what we see today. But in each of these circumstances, you can go back and look and see that roads change. That um, uh, the way you manufacture things change. Um, Warfare changes right around these time periods too. And this helps progress this movement forward. In every one of these, a new faith emerges. In the, Protest- in the Reformation, what do we have? We have Protestantism. Okay? In the first century, we have uh, Christianity and a new Jewish faith. In fi- around 500, what religion starts? 500 AD. Islam. Islam is the big branch in that time period. Every time we see one of these 500 year upheavals, new faith emerges, but what we also see is old faith starts to move forward. Many of us, um, some of you may have grown up Catholic. Um, a lot of us, I mean, we're here, we're Protestant now. But if you read documents like Vatican II and some of the more recent Catholic documents, there, there's a lot in there that you could agree with. I mean, the Catholic Church is not where it was 500 years ago either. Language about how we talk about God in the church changes. 500 years ago, no one would ever talk about a personal faith in Jesus Christ personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's modern language. That's language that has been recently added to our faith. Every time these things happen, uh, language evolves. Worship practices change. The locus of authority changes. We live in a time where we have talked about the authority of Scripture. Why? Because the Reformers in the 1500s pushed that over against Pope and Council. Pope and council got authority because of debates earlier on between different popes and different councils. And so every 500 years we see this trend. But you know what we always see? We always see that the church changes, but it does not die. It does not go away. It can't because ultimately Christ is the one taking responsibility for the church. And here's the amazing opportunity. The Christians that are in power, the Christians that are working during these 500-year shifts, they set the tone for Christianity of the following 500 years. Right? We still talk a lot about Martin Luther. We still talk a lot about John Calvin. Why? Because they were the leaders, because they were in the batter's box 500 years ago. We are in the batter's box today. And so we get to impart, think through the faith and set it forth For the next generations. Do you know with the way aging is happening. The way length of life is extending. That the youth that we have in our children. The youth we have in our church today. Are likely to be 22nd century children. 22nd century church leaders. How are we doing at raising up those 22nd century leaders? We are setting the stage for the church of tomorrow. And so... I have been in this series really trying to lay a lot of philosophical and historical background to what's going on in our culture. Now, I want to get really practical. I want to talk about eight shifts that I think are happening for the church of tomorrow. I want to talk about them. They're much more practical, much more just how is the church 
going to have to change its thinking to move into the future. Is everybody ready? Hold on to your seats. We're going. Eight shifts. Number one, I think there's going to be a shift in emphasis. The church of tomorrow will be less size-oriented and more quality-oriented. Less size-oriented and more quality-oriented. The metrics, if you want to know what your focus is, pay attention to what you are measuring. What you are measuring gives you an important understanding of what your focus is. What has been the metric of the church for the last several hundred years? Size. How many people are in our churches? How big are our churches? How big is our budget? Size. How big are our programs? How many programs do we have? How many people are in our programs? I do not think the church of tomorrow is going to be focused that way. I think it's going to be much more focused on quality. Having less programs, maybe having less people, having less building, but having more quality, more depth of relationship. Where it doesn't, it's not about how many you have or how much you have, but it's about how well you do it and how well Christ is proclaimed in the middle of it. I think the, the world is crying out for that kind of authenticity. You look at what, what we do when we try to do Facebook, when we try to do uh, all these things where we can present whoever we want to present. I think there's a shallowness in our world today. And I think there is room for places where people can go and be real and authentic. And I think the church is going to have to focus less on size and more on quality in the future. Number two, organization. I think we are going to be less membership oriented and more belonging oriented. Less membership oriented and more belonging oriented. Used to be it really was a big deal where you were a member. What member, what church you were a member of, what denomination you were a member of. We live in a day today where you are a member of the grocery store, where you are a member of the video store, where you can't, you got to buy bigger wallets to hold membership cards to all the memberships and clubs that you're in. Membership means nothing. That word has totally lost its meaning. Denominations, I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to stick around. They're not going to be the large, powerful entities that they have been in the past. Most denominations, by the way, were created in the last 500 years. You don't see any denominations before that because it was just one big church. So there was a time when there was no denominations, and I wonder if that time may come again. But I think there is a need for belonging, to be part of a group, to be part of something bigger Not to care that you have a name or you have a card in your pocket about it. But to belong to a family and to a group. Especially in a world where family seems to be crumbling. And so maybe denominations won't be the big thing that they used to be. But maybe maybe we will get more connected as churches with other churches. Maybe less over theological lines and more with the churches that are like us or are in our area. What about space? I think that the church of the future is going to be less building oriented and is going to be more community oriented. Less building oriented and more community oriented. We all say and we kind of know that we're supposed to believe that the church is the people, it's not the building. 
But our language sort of betrays us, doesn't it? When we say we're going to the church, or we're going to church, or what's going on at church, we don't use language like, hey, I bumped into church at the grocery store today. But that is changing. We're going to have to look at ourselves less at a building. In fact, I think more of the things that go on as a church need to happen outside of the building. That's why I think this movie idea is a cool idea. That's why I've been talking to some people about maybe getting a group that goes out, for, um, uh, goes out to a restaurant or to a pub and just has conversation that's not as oriented, that's not really a Bible study, but just conversation where we're hanging out, not at a church. You know, there are churches now that are, being, that are they're starting to have no building, that just rent. In fact, one of the popular ways to do that is with movie theaters. The movie theaters are totally empty on Sunday mornings. They, they have nice, comfortable seating where you can see. And so a lot of people are starting churches where they may have an office building or somewhere where they can have counseling sessions or that kind of thing. But they're just doing their meetings at Panera Bread, and they're, they're doing their Sunday morning worship at a movie theater or at a, a high school gymnasium where they're not tied down to a building. Now, I don't think we should get rid of our building. I think we are blessed with this building. In fact, I'm really hoping, and we've been talking about doing some things to our building. But I'm just saying that the the focus of the church is not the building. And we need to move back to the focus really being the people. And so where the building helps us with that, that's great. And where the building doesn't help us with that, we need to go somewhere else where we're not so attached to the building. Church is happening more in common space, in homes, in a coffee shop, and I think that's a really healthy thing. What about work? The work of the church, I think, is going to become less program-oriented and more people-oriented. Less program, more people. We all like programs, a new class, a new ministry, a new partnership. Large, corporate-oriented kind of churches have paved the way for this. But this, too, I think, is going away. Because there's no magic program that will draw people in here. There are no magic programs that will help people grow. In the end, it's the hard work of being in solid relationships with people. The church is going to have to stop asking, what can we do as a corporate entity to have programs? It's going to have to start asking more questions like, what are your gifts? What are your passions and your concerns, your dreams? One of the things that's been happening here is that there's been some crafting classes on Wednesday nights. And uh, we're getting people to those crafting classes to make scarves and all kinds of stuff. Um, That, I think, is the way of the future for the church. Spontaneous groups around things that we're interested in that just sort of happen, that just sort of connect people, where there's not a lot of agenda, not a lot of programming, just solid relationships. Church then becomes a place where those things that we care about are explored and encouraged. So instead of us having a program, this church is here to equip you to do the ministry that God has given you to do. I think that's a pretty biblical way to do it. People, I think the church will be less pastor-oriented and more body-oriented. This is a continuation of the last one. The past model has been to have a pastor, to pay them to do a lot of the work of the church. But I think it's a little different. I think pastors of the future are going to be more like teachers and equippers. The problem is, if you are really pastor-driven, the pastor gets burned out and more and more people don't get engaged. Now, with church finances being the way they are in so many churches, I think a lot more churches are going to have to go to part-time pastors, particularly Presbyterian churches. 
Pastors are going to have to be more like teachers and less like CEOs or counselors. And I think that's probably a healthy thing too. What about the Bible? I think the church of tomorrow is going to have to be less verse-oriented and more story-oriented. Less verse, more story. Um, we have, I think, what uh, Len Sweet calls a case of versitis in the church. We're used to dealing with the church. We're used to dealing with Scripture and memorizing a verse at a time. For instance, what is John 3.16? For everybody's God so loved the world that he gave... Okay, everybody got that? What's John 3.15? What's John 3.17? See, all these verses... Originally, the Bible didn't have any verses. It was written as a book. We put verses and chapters in so we could find stuff easier. The problem is now we've we've chopped it up so much that we don't even know the stories anymore. We don't even know how it all fits together. This is not going to work. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so is no longer logic that the world is going to accept as valid. You gotta, you gotta say more than Jesus than the Bible tells me so. You gotta understand why the Bible tells you so. How does it fit in the stories? How does it fit in the context? I think it's time for a much deeper engagement in Scripture. This leads me to my next point: faith. I think our church needs to be the church of the future will be less belief oriented and more practice oriented. Less belief-oriented and more practice-oriented. The Christian faith has become a lot about beliefs. You have to know certain things and believe certain things. And if you believe them, you're in. If you don't believe them, you're out. Or you should go somewhere else. But our faith needs to change. Not that beliefs are unimportant, but beliefs should come out of our experience and our encounter with God. See, when these beliefs were all formed, it was, they were formed by people who's, who were experiencing Jesus working in their lives in the power of the Holy Spirit and were trying to describe what was happening. Now we try to describe the faith as something that can happen, but that not, is not necessarily happening to us. The separation between faith, or between belief and practice, I think, has really harmed the church. That's going to take a lot of work for us. Because a lot of us are not real used to actually opening our Bible and reading it for ourselves. A lot of us are not used to p- praying any more than uh, praying right before we eat. It's going to take a much deeper engagement by Christians. I think the church is going to have to do a better job of encouraging and helping with that. Not just in terms of faith practices, but also living your faith out in practice. The early Christians made the first hospitals made the first orphanages. They cared for the poor, the sick, and the orphans. They invented. They moved science forward. They created some of the best art the world has ever seen because their faith drove them to do it. Christians need today to be much more active in letting their faith drive them to be the best at whatever they're doing. Caring about those around them. We need this kind of vibrant and active faith again. Worship. Worship is going to become less style and performance oriented. Less style and performance. More authenticity and participation oriented. Church was really about style for a long time. And you you went to a church like this because you liked traditional worship. Or or we kind of blend, right? And you knew that there was maybe a church in another place with a drum, electric guitar. You could go there and get that style. 
And it, what, it, what, it, what it caused was people to have preferences and then people to come to church and basically be going to a performance. Where church is very passive. I mean, for us, there's some things we say and we try to all sing together. But, but a lot of church, you sit there and you just kind of take it in. It becomes a performance. And you know what you do if you don't like the performance? You go somewhere else. I mean, our language betrays us, right? Well, I'm really getting fed at this church, or I'm leaving because I just wasn't getting my needs met there. When did the church become about your needs? The church has always been about praising Jesus Christ, and the church has always been about reaching out to those who are not already here. Yeah, your needs are important, but they're not central. They're not everything to what we do on Sunday morning. This is being replaced, or I think it needs to, by more authenticity and more participation-oriented. Where it's not about style, whatever style you have in worship. It's about, are you authentically encountering the risen Jesus in your worship? And I think it's going to be more participation-oriented. I don't know how this is going to look exactly. But I think there's room in the church for people to get more engaged in worship. Not just leading worship, though that might be part of it. But I wonder what it would look like if we did the sermon... And then we had discussion. You could turn to your neighbor and talk about whatever was being preached. Maybe we do that downstairs someday where we're sitting around tables. So there's word proclaimed, but also word digested. Word engaged. These are some things I think are coming for the future of the church. I think there's still some questions to be answered. I'm not sure we've answered who or what has authority. We used to say it was scripture. Before that, it was popes and councils. People tend to think scripture to be less important today. And I'm not sure what the authority is going to be in the future. This is a question that makes me nervous. What will the language of our faith be for postmodernity? I think that the way we talk about our faith is going to change. People are already reacting to a real strong idea that Jesus had to die to fulfill some kind of of uh, uh, vengeance that God had to have. I mean, some of the way that we've talked about faith in the past, people are, are averse to. We're going to have to learn how to express our faith differently when our language doesn't connect. How will we be stewards of technology? I think technology has a, a huge opportunity and upside for the church that we don't know what to do with. What does church look like when it's online? What does Facebook do when we want to connect in more community groups? What does texting do to our Bible studies? I think those things need to be asked. There's already people that are starting to do that, to have church online. I mean, I think that's coming. What will be the high point in worship? High point in worship. Every time we go through these shifts, worship changes. used to be that the sacraments, communion was the high point. For us, really, the high point is much more the sermon because we're more logical and we're more modern. I don't know what it's going to be in the future. I think that question's still out there. But I think if you're going to be a Christian in the future, a couple things you're going to need to do. If you're going to navigate these, this perfect storm, I think you're going to have to have depth of faith and knowledge. You're going to need to be people of faith. We are together. Not just beliefs, but in action. We're going to need knowledge. We have not done a good job, I think, of passing the faith on to our children and our grandchildren. You'll find a lot of them are not in church. We've got to get better at the knowledge so that we can pass that along and recreate the faith. 
Christianity is having a major reproduction crisis right now. We're just not able to reproduce faith in younger people. And we need to learn how to do that. It means we need to grow in our own faith and knowledge. Participation in spiritual practices. You can put this off as long as you want, but you've got to start reading your Bible if you're not already. You've got to start praying. Faith has to be a daily thing for you. An hour of worship is not good enough. A little bit of K-love in the car is not enough. You've got to dive into the text a little bit yourself. You've got to pray a little on your own. Maybe keep a journal. Maybe read through some things to help you grow in your faith. Authentic spiritual community. We need to look at ourselves as being a group, being together. (laughs) This is going to be so important in the future when people's faith is so shallow because of Facebook and texting and Twitter and all these things. There's more and more opportunity going to be out there for authentic community. Can we model that for the world again? And we've got to be open-minded to fresh expressions of church. Some of the things the church is going to do in the future is not going to look like church very much in the past. It's going to be much more organic, much more natural, much more free-flowing. To close, I would say this. How many of you are watching the Olympics? Do I have some Olympic fans out there? I love the Olympics. I just watch it like all the time. I got it on my phone so I can catch up. Uh, USA Hockey was amazing yesterday. Um, I'm really into curling. Do you guys watch the curling? With the big stones and the, the brush. Uh, I'm so into it, I got signed up to try it this afternoon. I'm going to Pittsburgh. I get to throw some stones and actually brush, so I get to see what it's like. Um, and yesterday, I was watching the cross-country skiing relay. Okay, I don't care about cross-country at all. But in the, in the, fourth, in the fourth leg of the relay, the, 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 I think it was the Swedish competitor, it was the women, who uh, was way back, like 40 seconds back when she took her turn came back to win first. It was amazing, amazing in a 5K to make up 40 seconds, uh, 30 seconds or something like that. Um, And I found myself, I don't care about cross-country at all, I'm in the living room standing, screaming at the TV about cross-country skiing. Why do we watch that so intensely? It's because these people for four years have trained for this moment. And for some of them, the, the difference between first place and not getting on the podium is a matter of four one-hundredths of a second. That's the level of detail. That's their moment. And so much drama to see that moment, isn't it? Church, today is our moment. Today is our moment as a church to step up and be what Christ wants us to be as a church in the future. This is our time. Remember what I said. The church that's on deck, the church that gets their moment, gets to help set the stage for Christianity for the next 500 years. This is our moment. And the the way we're going to win that moment is that the focus of the church must be on Jesus Christ. If we proclaim Jesus, I believe that when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. That he will build his church. Church, this is our moment. It's not a comfortable moment. If I could wish for another moment to live in and to be a pastor in, I might pick another one. One that was more comfortable, one that we didn't have to change so much. But this is our moment. Let's step up into it. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to be a church right now. Give us strength to move into our future, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.